Good evening and welcome to NTD News. I'm Stephanie Cox. Here are today's top stories. Hurricane Ian officially making landfall in Florida. Just shy of a Category 5 storm carrying winds up to 150 miles per hour. Republicans warning there will be probes into the border crisis. What they're saying to the Biden administration and why Venezuela has become one of their biggest concerns. Senators sounding the alarm that billions of U.S. tax dollars are being used to prop up the Chinese Communist Party. The EU begins its investigation into the Nord Stream pipeline leaks. And the U.S. offers help, though some say the U.S. is partly to blame. And protests supporting freedom for Iranian women taking place in countries around the world. We hear from some of the protesters on the ground. Hurricane Ian is crossing Florida after making landfall this afternoon. It's carrying winds of up to 155 miles per hour, making it just short of a Category 5 hurricane. Hurricane Ian made landfall as a Category 4 storm near Cayo Costa, just west of Fort Myers, Florida, around 3 p.m. Wednesday afternoon. Authorities are warning that Floridians will experience catastrophic storm surge, wind and flooding. Conditions are going to start going downhill today, so get wherever you need to be up along the I-4 corridor and stay there. Don't be moving about the rest of the day as this system comes ashore. This is the strongest hurricane to hit the U.S. in decades. Only two Category 5 storms have made landfall in the U.S. in the past 30 years. More than a million customers in Florida were without power Wednesday afternoon. Now it is our meteorologist's view that the storm surge has likely peaked and, and, and will likely uh, you know, be, be less in the, in the coming hours than it has been up to this point. Uh, but we know that this has been a, a big storm and, and it's done a, a lot of damage uh, as it is. President Biden on Wednesday said the federal government is ready to help. We've approved every request Florida has made for temporary assistance, emergency assistance, long-term assistance that I've received. We discussed what we've done to prepare for the hurricane. That includes dispatching hundreds of FEMA personnel and activating thousands of National Guard members. Experts say the hurricane is unlikely to affect gas prices. Biden also has a message to oil and gas executives. Do not, let me repeat, do not, do not use this as an excuse to raise gasoline prices or gouge the American people. Biden also noted that 190,000 barrels of oil a day have been impacted by the storm thus far. That's less than 2% of the U.S. daily production. Reporting by Allison Lee, NTD News. Warning of a worsening border crisis, Republicans today pressed the Biden administration about what it's going to do to help. NTD's Iris Tao has more from Capitol Hill. Republicans giving fresh warnings to the Biden administration over illegal immigration. New Mexico Congresswoman Yvette Harrell wrote Tuesday that if officials won't even try to secure the country, they can, quote, explain themselves to congressional investigations soon. And that's as other Republicans on Wednesday point to potential terrorists coming into the U.S. Of all those uh, folks that they've apprehended at the border, there have been 78 people apprehended in this last year that were on the terrorist watch list, which is five times the, um, the amount that they've had in the last five years combined. Others cite an inflow of fentanyl. So over 100,000 Americans dead 
from fentanyl brought in by drug cartels. 14 House Republicans recently sent a letter to the administration saying how Venezuelan migrants have been flooding U.S. border towns and cities, particularly El Paso, Texas. And that's after Congressman Troy Nels, citing a confirmation he got from the Department of Homeland Security, revealed that Venezuela was emptying its prisons and sending criminals to the U.S. southern border. And Republicans have been warning that if they take back the majority in November... Well, we will give Secretary Mayorkas a reserved parking spot. He will be testifying so much about this. Meanwhile, Democrats on Wednesday blamed Republicans for a lack of change. The reason we haven't had bipartisan immigration reform is Republicans don't want to do immigration reform. And President Biden announced a new plan in June to address the border situation. It focuses on working with other countries to ease their burden. But in recent months, encounters at the southern border have remained at around 200,000 a month. And in this fiscal year, a record 2 million illegal immigrants have crossed the southern border. Reporting in Washington, D.C., Aris Tao, NTD News. We know that China has long been accused of stealing U.S. intellectual property, but now some say the communist regime could be the main beneficiary of key American tech research funds. Senator Joni Ernst is sounding the alarm on an internal Pentagon report that sheds light on the issue. Here's NTD's Melina Weiskup with more. An internal Pentagon report reveals that, quote, nearly all cases show that China, not the U.S., is the ultimate beneficiary of DOD and other U.S. government research investments, some of which are significant in size. That's according to a report from the Center for Strategic and International Studies, or CSIS, and cited by Senator Joni Ernst. And this is not new. It's been going on for decades. A report by the Center for Strategic and International Studies reveals that this has been going on since at least 1980. Um, that report shows that Chinese scholars has been, have been monitoring this specific program, the Small Business Innovation Research Program. We caught up with Senator Ernst earlier today, and she explained why it's important for them to continue to expose this and solutions moving forward. Because obviously we don't want taxpayer dollars going into research and development and then handing over that information to the Chinese. We are basically taking taxpayer dollars, developing technology, for our own use here in the United States for national security, and then turning it over to the Chinese, where they can reverse engineer a lot of that technology and use it for their own purposes, maybe against the United States. Essentially, American companies get tax dollars from the Pentagon for technology development. Those companies are then recruited by China to continue their work at institutions associated with the People's Liberation Army. Ernst, in a statement to the Epoch Times, cited an example from the Internal Pentagon report. A researcher and the co-founders of a now-dissolved company that received four grants to develop technology for spacecraft and drones, for example, were allegedly recruited by the Chinese government and now work for institutions affiliated with the communist regime's defense agency. Senator Ernst says the solution is not to defund these research programs, but instead we need to do better at developing more security measures and guardrails to prevent this from happening moving forward. And she's not alone in calling for these changes. Senator Rand Paul has also called for similar measures, but he has went so far as to threaten um, not recertifying these programs unless these changes are made. Reporting in Washington, D.C., Melina Weiskup, NTD News. As the Biden administration pursues its climate change agenda, reports are surfacing that a major and influential group involved with the effort has ties to China.
Its office in China is registered under the Beijing Municipal Public Security Bureau. The Natural Resources Defense Council, or NRDC, is based in New York City, but it has worked on climate issues in China since the mid-1990s. Several of its top officials have worked for the Chinese Communist Party or its institutions, while also maintaining close work relationships with officials in the Biden administration. According to internal State Department emails, the China-linked group regularly communicates with John Kerry's office on policy issues. John Kerry is the special presidential envoy for climate. On its website, the NRDC highlights its collaboration with, quote, a wide range of Chinese and international partners to boost green policies and strengthen environmental regulations. But the group doesn't mention China's poor climate record. The country accounts for about 27 percent of total global greenhouse gas emissions, nearly tripling the total from the U.S. The NRDC website says it has international business spanning Canada, India, China, and Latin America. But Beijing is the only place outside the U.S. where the organization has an office. This office is registered under the Public Security Bureau of the city of Beijing. Its business is supervised by China's National Forestry and Grassland Administration. Amanda Maxwell, the managing director of the NRDC's international program, told Fox News Digital that the organization has never received any funding from the Chinese regime, neither directly nor from linked organizations. As a nonprofit organization, the NRDC cannot be asked to publicly disclose its donor information. Maxwell added that the NRDC follows the law everywhere in the world, including in China. Worth noting, some managers had worked for the Chinese Communist Party before joining the group. The senior program director for climate and energy program previously focused on green development research for China's Belt and Road Initiative. The program is widely seen as a tool used to expand Beijing's influence around the world. Another director in the same field worked for a major state-owned power generation company in China. The same is true for a senior advisor. As winter approaches and European countries scramble for energy, EU officials are saying the Nord Stream pipeline leaks are sabotage. They blame Russia and even the U.S. And a former CIA station chief says they could be right. And TD's Arlene Richards reports. In August, Russia cut off gas supplies from Nord Stream 1, Europe's main pipeline, blaming economic sanctions for the shutdown. But now Nord Stream 1 and 2 are leaking. Leaders in Norway and Sweden say the leaks are sabotage, though the cause is still under investigation. Some EU officials are blaming Russia as well as the U.S. I spoke to former CIA station chief Scott Eulinger about what's going on. Could either U.S. or Russia be to blame for the pipelines that are leaking? Russia could possibly have done this themselves. Putin sabotaged it as a way of showing the Russian people and maybe certain oligarchs that there is no going back to the way the world was prior to the invasion of Ukraine. And by doing this, he would also make more difficult the possibility of a negotiated peace settlement. Eulinger said the leaks don't give Putin any leverage with Europe because Russia depends on the money to beef up its military. But this could help him in other ways. And also, this is a way for Putin to signal that for if should another Russian leader try to take over in some kind of coup d'etat or something, that that Russian leader would be similarly hamstringed by this because Russia depends on or depended on the influx of European cash via those pipelines. 
Tuesday, the U.S. Secretary of State met with the Danish foreign minister about the leaks. The U.S. says based on reports issued by European officials, the leaks appear to be acts of sabotage and that America will support the EU in its investigation. The U.S. press secretary pointed out that the pipelines aren't pumping gas. Nord Stream 2 uh, was never operational, and uh, NS1 has been shut down for weeks because of, of how Russia is uh, weaponizing uh, energy. But Ullinger said it could be the U.S. who sabotaged the pipelines. Germany has always been perhaps the weakest partner in the coalition, the informal coalition against Russia. Germany has always been very lukewarm because it is very dependent on Russian energy. So it has only sort of reluctantly gone along and followed France, Britain, and the rest of NATO's lead, or the United States, in sanctioning Russia and supporting Ukraine. Because the pipeline has been partially destroyed, this prevents Germany from backing down, from being the weak sister of NATO trying to negotiate some kind of deal for itself to uh, basically enhance its own energy security. Biden said in February that he would end the Nord Stream 2 pipeline if Russia went through with the invasion. Germany was in control of the project. They agreed to halt it in February by denying the necessary certification. Arlene Richards, NTD News, New York. A senior military official told Pentagon reporters this afternoon that the U.S. was, quote, absolutely not involved. He spoke on the condition of anonymity, according to media reports. NTD couldn't independently verify his statement. And former President Trump said on Truth Social that the U.S. government should remain calm and be strategic. He offered to help lead negotiations to end the war in Ukraine. And the Biden administration says it'll impose more sanctions on Russia in the coming days. This in response to referendums that Russia held in occupied regions of Ukraine. In response, we will work with our allies and partners to impose additional economic costs on Russia and individuals and entities inside and outside of Russia that provide support to this action. We will rally global opposition to Russia's attempts at annexation, including at the United Nations. Russia on Wednesday released what it called vote tallies in the referendums. Russia says the results show that four partially occupied Ukrainian provinces support joining Russia. Russian authorities say they carried out the referendums over five days on territory that makes up around 15 percent of Ukraine. Russian President Vladimir Putin could officially announce the annexation in a speech within days. The Biden administration has denounced Russia's actions as sham referendums. And the U.S. Embassy in Moscow issued a security alert last night urging U.S. citizens to leave Russia immediately. The alert was issued in the wake of Putin's order mobilizing Russian men to fight in Ukraine. The U.S. Embassy said that dual U.S. nationals may be denied access to U.S. consular assistance. They may also be prevented from departing Russia and could be conscripted for military service. And around the world, people are standing in solidarity with the women of Iran. And despite a growing death toll, videos show Iranians continue to protest against the Islamic regime. NTD's Jason Perry has that story. Protests in Iran erupted after 22-year-old Masa Amini died while in police custody. She was arrested by the morality police for not wearing her hijab properly. 
On Wednesday, protesters gathered in front of the Iranian embassy in Spain in support of the protest against the Iranian regime. Uh, for freedom of Iran, for uh, women, for hijab, for uh, uh, Iran, for freedom for women, for all of people of Iran. Spain's Prime Minister Pedro Sanchez condemned the situation of women in Iran and the death of the young woman. We have communicated our condemnation to Iran's government. That includes our rejection of violence against peaceful demonstrators and our defense of free speech and the right to demonstrate. And on the same day, hundreds of protesters gathered in Berlin, Germany, in support of the Iranian protests. We want to send a united signal to Iran that women and the opposition are not alone there. We, the lawmakers, and the people in Germany are in solidarity with the people protesting in Iran. I want to uh, stop this, uh, this killing the people, the people who is killing the women because of some small issues about the hair uh, going out or something, this kind of uh, small thing. I want to stop this. I spoke with Dr. Majid Sadejpour, a political director with the Organization of the Iranian-American Communities, which promotes a free and democratic Iran. And yes, we think this uprising will continue to grow. And I don't want to speculate what it will end to, but we know that this regime is on the way down and it is on the verge of falling. That there is a driving force behind these protests. There are women or girls that are, and men, and young boys and girls that are members of the resistance units in Iran, that are actually uh, intelligent, bright, sophisticated young people who are willing to give their lives. In Iran, State TV has suggested that at least 41 protesters and police have been killed. Jason Perry, NTD News. Up next, an argument about abortion reportedly gets out of hand in Michigan. A local news outlet reports that a man admits to shooting a pro-life activist. And in golf, an upstart league is reportedly in talks to pay for their events to be on TV instead of receiving a media rights fee. NTD's Dave Martin has the details. That and more coming up. A man has confirmed that he shot a pro-life activist after she got into an argument with his wife. He says it was an accident and that he wanted to protect his wife, though the victim tells a different story. Local Michigan news station Wood TV published an interview on Tuesday with a man who says he accidentally shot a pro-life activist in the shoulder. Last week, the 83-year-old woman was volunteering for Right to Life Michigan. She was going door-to-door -door collecting signatures against Proposal 3, which will be on the ballot this fall. Anna Visser from the organization tells NTD what Proposal 3 is all about. No parental consent laws regarding abortion or hormone therapies to be in place. Um, it would essentially change every law relating to pregnancy in Michigan. The 74-year-old shooter says he heard his wife telling the victim to leave, but the activist refused, and so he grabbed his gun. After a warning shot, he says he accidentally pulled the trigger again while confronting her. Visser says the victim gave a different story. She was on her way to her car when she was shot, so she was leaving. 
NTD couldn't independently verify which story is true. Visser says harassment against the pro-life movement is increasing after Roe v. Wade was overturned, especially against pregnancy resource centers. These pregnancy resource centers are on the ground helping women who maybe they need housing or childcare or extra diapers, and they just need a helping hand. And I think it goes to show that pro-abortion activists feel very threatened by these centers because it eliminates the argument that abortion is necessary and eliminates the argument that women need abortion in these times of unplanned pregnancies or when it's hard or when finances are tight. She says politicians and other influential people might be fueling anti-pro-life sentiments. We have politicians and pro-abortion officials and leaders that are saying, well, these people are our enemy and we need to act upon them and they're they're being dangerous and, um, you know, we will fight them if we have to. She added that this could lead to acts of violence as arguments escalate. Reporting by Arian Pastar, NTD News. Midterms are quickly approaching, but it's not just congressmen and governors on the ballot this November. NTD's Robert McNeely reports on a contentious local election in Fulton County, Georgia. Fulton County was one of the most disputed counties after the 2020 election, and at the heart of it, the County Board of Commissioners. The board is responsible for day-to-day government and overseeing the voting process. Poll watcher Bridget Thorne is in the home stretch of her campaign for commissioner. They're trying to make the elections from 2020 a national issue. They're trying to peg anybody who questioned the elections an election denier. So my opponents come out and already called me an election denier. Even though I physically, I witnessed things like people printing ballots before the election, and I reported it before the election, before I knew who won, um, and my missing of 400 absentee ballots in my precinct. Thorne's opponent, Maggie Goldman, has a different take. She tweeted, Fulton is a top target for false fraud conspiracy theories, including threats on staff and poll workers. On her website, Goldman says she wants to work towards accessible, efficient, and transparent elections that are free of election conspiracies and false fraud allegations. Thorne's platform also includes streamlining the scope of the county government. She says her focus is on issues like illegal drugs and crime. And I would also say that crime is a big deal right now. Crime is out of control in Atlanta, and fentanyl's pouring in. And the fentanyl pouring in is coming up here into the suburbs. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of drug overdoses. And then fentanyl, basically, you don't overdose on. It's a one and done. You can take it and you can die from its poison. But she stressed that her initial interest in election integrity issues is why she's running. My experience, I've been going down there for about 22 months, mainly for election integrity issues. But sitting through the meetings and watching the things they vote on, the things that they discuss, um, it's become quite evident that Fulton County is not a healthy and wealthy county, as some might think. Thor says the many issues facing her county are a reflection of the communities throughout America. As they say, all politics are local. Robert McNeely, NTD News, Fulton County, Georgia. And now over to sports news. Here's NTD's Dave Martin with today's top stories. 
Golf Week is reporting that Live Golf is close to a deal with Fox Sports to purchase airtime for their events. The proposed arrangement is in stark contrast to most media sports deals where the league receives a hefty rights fee to air their competitions instead of paying for the coverage. Though Liv has poached a number of PGA Tour stars like Phil Mickelson, Dustin Johnson, Patrick Reed, and Cam Smith, their financing from the Saudi Arabia regime's public investment fund has led to accusations of sports washing. Mickelson came under fire earlier this year when admitting they were scary people to deal with, saying they killed Washington Post reporter Jamal Khashoggi and had a horrible human rights record. He went on to explain that he needed them for leverage in dealing with the PGA. Mickelson later apologized and said his comments were taken out of context and without his consent. Live Golf has three events next month, including their season-ending team competition starting on October 28. In NFL news, the New York Jets will get second-year quarterback Zach Wilson back for Sunday's game against the Pittsburgh Steelers, according to head coach Robert Sala. Wilson missed the team's first three games with a knee injury suffered back in the preseason. Wilson was the team's first round pick last year. He struggled through an up and down rookie season, though he showed flashes of why the team chose him second overall. The news comes just a day after the team placed offensive tackle George Fant on injured reserve with a knee injury. And tonight in sports, 14 baseball games are on the schedule, highlighted by a Yankees-Blue Jays clash, with Aaron Judge still one home run away from tying Roger Maris's AL record. That's all for your sports news today. Back to you, Steph. Thanks, Dave. And this just in, Live Golf has issued a statement saying Golf Week's report about buying TV time was incomplete and inaccurate. They added that they're still in negotiations with several outlets. Fox Sports did not immediately respond to a request for comment. And that's all for today's news. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Stephanie Cox.